Smashing it from miles away Passive with the things you say Passing up on my always I can't blame you, no Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. I am John Ledger, along with the off-suspended, but not currently suspended, Taylor... What's your middle name? James. Taylor... Oh, Taylor James Jenkins, TJJ, in the house. Welcome, Taylor. Glad to have you back on the show. Absolutely. It's crazy you said that because I was literally going to say off-suspended, hopefully frequently missed... Taylor Jenkins. So glad to be on. I Hopefully an exciting that. episode. I'm I ready for this have one. said that. I should have, have introed you that way and just anticipated that you would have been uh you would have been very missed um as the outcry of the people goes forth in your absence. But we do have a fun show lined up for today. I, we believe later in the show, in a few minutes, perhaps, hopefully. Tyrone Poole is joining us. He is a two-time Super Bowl champion. He spent 13 years in the NFL. Uh, He played and won two Super Bowls with Tom freaking Brady. Uh, He had six interceptions the first year uh, in 2003 that they went and won a Super Bowl together. And so we are excited to talk to him. We're going to talk to him about Tom Brady. We're going to talk to him about uh, his time uh, playing against the Bucs when he was with the Carolina Panthers um, and his experience coming into the league in the same draft class being selected in the same first round as Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks. So we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk to. We can cover some ground. This would have been a good one to have Scott on the podcast because he's got that history knowledge and, you know, he always loves throwing it back to the old school bucks, but uh, Scott is uh, suspended from the podcast. Once again, Taylor, we just can't get him to keep his behavior in line. If we could, we could, you know, it's he's a hard, hard guy to control. Um, But yeah, the show should be really Really fun uh, podcast. Looking forward to that with Tyrone Poole joining us here uh, shortly. But we wanted to go live and wanted to uh, get in front of you all and talk a little bit of Box Panthers before Tyrone joins us. First, I want to mention, if you're jumping in here, the Pewter Report podcast, and you're like, man, this is pretty sweet. Maybe some of you are Panthers fans or Tyrone Poole fans coming over to, to check out the show. Welcome. Love to have you. Use this comment section as frequently as y'all would like. I know YouTube's had some issues lately. Hopefully everybody's able to get in there, sound off in the comments, throw some questions out. We'll try to get to what we can on a show like this. We've obviously got a lot of questions coming for Tyrone when he joins us as well, but uh, definitely throw in some questions if you want. Leave us some super chats, some super chat donations. We always appreciate those um, from y'all being grateful, uh, loyal fans as we go live four days a week. Um, if you're jumping in here and you're like, man, this is pretty sweet. Like maybe I should subscribe to this podcast. The answer is yes, you should. That's a correct take. And you want to go to YouTube, Peter report TV, hit that subscribe button, hit the bell, get the notifications for when we go live. Cause we've got lots of bucks content coming your way. And this is just the beginning. The off season is going to be even better because we're going to be talking draft and free agency and all the speculation that comes with it. And I cannot wait because we've got some Great content and even better guests lined up for you in the off season. So it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. So hit that subscribe button uh, and let's get this thing rolling in the right direction for sure. Uh, howdy, howdy, Zinnamon. Uh, appreciate you jumping in. Appreciate everybody who's jumping in here. Uh, Taylor, let's talk a little bit. Uh, oh, Douglas is here. We can relax, Taylor. Douglas Perfect. is here. We're, we're good. Mark Fisher has a question to get us started. We'll jump into before uh, Tyrone joins us, but he says, does our defense have problems covering people in the flat? Too many running backs getting open. Um, this is an interesting question, I think, because 
the Bucks don't always defend the flat the same way, right? Obviously, you you know you you're gonna that's every team to a degree, but they beat with the volume that they're dropping Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul into coverage. Which, by the way, if you're looking to vent about that and and see some of your frustration about how often those guys yeah. drop into coverage, realized a little bit. I wrote an article about it today. It's up on PeterReport.com. You can check it out. The numbers are gonna probably blow your mind uh, even a little more than you can even imagine. Um, but yeah, the, the problems covering people in the flat are true. We saw it in the Giants game. There's an example in the article I wrote about Jason Pierre-Paul uh, just straight up not being able to make plays in the flat. Um, I think that one of the issues is the dropping of the edge defenders in the coverage. The other one is being able to kind of throttle down and play in space. The other one is probably, for the linebackers mainly, but the other one is probably that screen game happens out there on those edges a lot yeah. of the time. And really, the Bucks were pretty good against the screen last week. They tried a Saints try. I mean, it was one of the few things they did well. Um, they shut down Alvin Kamara and they shut down the screen game, and everything else beat them basically. Um, and so, but I think that that was one of the improvements. So, hopefully, if they can continue to get better against the screen game, some of that stuff on the in the short perimeter game will be uh, improved. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting when you look. I think the Bucks were terrified of Alvin Kamara coming into this game, and I think that's what led to a lot of the zone defense. We've yeah. talked Devin White struggles in coverage, and someone asked me last night, why are the Bucks going? So It was on a play uh, where Traquan Smith scored the touchdown on the post-wheel route. Um, it looked like the Bucks had quarters coverage called. SMB mm -hmm. was struggling to get guys checked, and when Alvin Kamara motioned out to the outside, Jamel Dean, what it looked like to me, was came down to guard Alvin Kamara, he tried to make a call to SMB. Maybe that was him rotating down, SMB filling in his quarters coverage in the back of the end zone where Smith scored. SMB never picked it up. Dean immediately collapsed to Alvin Kamara, who had pre-snap rotated out wide. And I think that they were so scared of what Alvin Kamara could do. Yeah, That's why they ran a lot of zone coverage. And someone said, well, why is Dean worried about Alvin Kamara? Isn't that why the Bucks drafted Devin White? To counter Alvin Kamara to shadow him, to follow him. But the problem lies in if you want to do that, it's not going to work. You can't just run man defense in task Devin White with sticking on Alvin Kamara because in that man defense, you're going to have a lot of people with their backs turned. You're going to have Alvin Kamara probably regularly beating Devin White in coverage. So while I do think they should have been in more man, they should have forced Drew Brees to beat them over the top, I, to an extent, understand what they were trying to do from a game plan standpoint, if that no. makes sense. I don't think <laughs> no, it, necessarily it was a good decision. I don't think it was a good decision. I think that showed. But, like, I think they were really terrified of trying to put Devin White on Alvin Kamara and men. People can gift my face if they want. I mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong about the game plan. I'm just saying it's dumb. Like you drafted these great linebackers for a reason. Like they got to be able to cover people in man coverage. That includes running backs out of the backfield. And so if you're Devin White, you're taking him in the top five picks, you know, you got to be able to in year two to roll him out and say, hey, cover a running back. And I, I know he's, he's not at it this year, but you, you got to be able to do it. I mean, that's, I mean, in week one was his best week at doing it, to be honest. So I do, agree I mean, I, I hear you do it. Probably their thought process, but I, I don't know. You can't, I don't know. You just can't get picked apart like they did. I, I don't know. But I think you're right. This probably was part of the thought process. They definitely wanted to shut down Kamara. There's no doubt about that. Doug O'Connor says that I placed third in his top 10 Bucks media members. Hold on a second. 
I got who who is over? Who's over me? Tell me, Douglas. Tell me. There's Almond only a few is, names is, is loved. Almond, Almond is loved, and I'm fine with Almond. I, I, I respect that. I got I got to find out. I mean, because I place uh, because of the wood paneling. If wood paneling is going to the argument, I should be first. This is classic. Wood paneling. <laughs> Stroud the wood paneling and Almond out of the rankings. It should boost me up. Stroud and Almond. Gotta be kidding me. What do I have to do, Douglas, to be number one? <laughs> Stank. Number one. Stank made Stank some huge sacrifices one. for this team, so I don't blame people putting him up there. Some of the sacrifices he has made is huge. So it's true. Someone mentioned, Charlie mentioned that uh misdirection is something that gives the team problems. There's there's no question about that. Um, you know, misdirection, it's not just it's the fact that the Bucks are young in part. They're also still trying to find their voice. Like Antoine Winfield has been a big communicator for them. And he is the guy that's kind of sniffed some of those things out, to be honest, a lot of the time. Um, they just got to get everybody on the same page. And, and you know, part of that is the communication across the defense. You saw Levante David a couple of times just screaming at guys at the end of the, the Saints game, trying to get things communicated. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that, man, it's like that has to get better, I think, if if they're going to be the, their peak reach their peak ability on defense. I mean, this is a team that, to be honest, has all the, has all the talent in the world, but it's like discipline, technique, communication. Like those are things that have to get better for basically for them to be able to reach their peak. I mean, this is – think about how talented this defense is. I mean, yeah, Jamal Dean, as much as he struggled, like he's so talented and Winfield and the way Mike Edwards has played. And, I mean, Devin White, I know the coverage issues make us scream and pull out our hair, but – how many linebackers in the league move like Devin White? How many are that explosive? He might be the most explosive linebacker in the NFL right now. But it's again, it's the technique things. You see Jared yeah. Cook releasing, and you see Devin White trying to like grab him basically at the second level rather than reading the receiver's release, watching his hips, turning with him, and opening up and running. It's just like technical stuff. They have to get better at those details if they're going to reach their peak. I think I know the play you're talking about. The big gain in the first quarter. Yeah, the Taysom Hill pass was way behind. Yeah, his first step was forward. And I do think a lot of that is Devin White sometimes because he's so fast, because he's so athletic, because he was a running back up until he got to college. We have to remember he has less experience at linebacker than some other guys despite all the talent he has. I think he guesses sometimes, and I think that is where the technique comes in. You've mentioned sometimes he plays too fast, and his technique suffers in that. And I think that having a third down – was that third down? I can't remember. But having Taysom Hill in the backfield, I think, was a huge reason why Devin White's first step is forward, not back. His first step's forward, then he tries to get hands on on Jared Cook to try and knock him off his route, but it doesn't work at all because he doesn't have inside leverage, and Jared Cook's gone. So even with Devin White's speed, all he can use that for is to catch up, not. So I just think that while he is so talented, while he is so athletic, like Mike mentioned last week when you had him on, that almost leads to defensive coordinators making him do too much mm-hmm. than he's ready for. But you want, when you draft a guy top five at the inside linebacker spot, you don't want the game to be too big for him halfway through year two, especially when you're yeah. that, when you have that much physical talent and that many tools, it's tough. Right. Yeah. And, and Greg brings up a good point. Saints game is over. Yeah. Let's talk about how we're going to beat the Panthers to do that. We're going to bring in our special guest for today, Tyrone Poole, 13 year veteran in the NFL, two time Super Bowl champion. Tyrone, can you hear us okay? 
Yes, sir. I can hear you guys. I'm kind of having a little bit of uh, technical difficulties over here on my side, but uh, I can hear you guys very, very well. Thank you for allowing me to be on your show. The Tampa Bay Buccaneer, tell Tom Brady, uh, I'm coming down to, well, actually he's coming to Carolina. So uh, tell him I'm going to come on the field and I'm going to get on him if he doesn't have a good game because we want him to have a great game so that the Panthers can continue to believe that they are getting better. But anyway, guys, hey, that's enough talk. I'm glad to be on your show. Welcome, welcome. Thank, thanks, thanks yeah. Tyrone. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, this sounds great on our end. We, we can hear you loud and clear. And so as long as you can hear us, I think we're good to go. I wanted to show you this before we got started. I know you can see my screen. These are football oh, cards. Man, from when oh, I was a kid. look at those. <laughs> oh man, that's that first interception one with uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. That was in the uh, yeah, that was a Hall of Fame game. And uh, actually, I had picked the ball off, and the guy uh, grabbed my jersey. I was playing Nickelback, yeah. and um, uh, Mark Brunel, Mark Brunel threw the ball. Yeah, wow! I happened to be in the right place at the right time, and took that puppy back to the house. <laughs> so he's grabbing your jersey, but he didn't stop you. Yeah, no. Actually, that was the guy he was trying to throw it to. And actually, I jumped in front of the ball. And man, look at here. Uh, first game. Uh, actually, I think it might have been the first defensive touchdown uh, for the Carolina Panthers, even though it was a return for interception right. touchdown uh, for the right. Panthers. Uh, so, yeah. So it was cool, man. That was cool. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, I collected football cards as a kid and have like a collection of like 40,000. And when I heard you might be coming on the show, I had to go dig them out and make sure I found a couple of them to show you. But it is fun. It's fun yeah. to think back. You know, I was looking at the years when when you were drafted that year in the first round of 1995 draft. You came into yes. the league with Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp. Do you remember? Like, was there, did you know those yes. guys at all the pre draft process? Could you tell how great those guys were going to become? Uh, you know, actually, me and uh, Derrick Brooks, we played in the Senior Bowl together. So we were uh, both on the first team. You know, they have the first team, the guys that are you know, going to be starting. And uh, it was me and Derrick Brooks um, on the same defense. So uh, they probably remember me as that uh, kid from a Division II HBCU historical black college and university. I'm like, OK, I've seen Florida State. I've seen Georgia on television. I've seen Florida, uh, Penn State, you know, uh, playing against Kerry Collins, who would uh, be my teammate with the Carolina Panthers. So to see these guys, Virginia Tech helmets, and here I am from a Division II HBCU, Historical Black College and University, and I'm in a huddle with Derrick Brooks, you know, who a future Hall of Famer. So I'm like, you know, in the huddle with these guys. So I played with, actually ended up playing with Warren uh, in uh, the, with the Raiders at the time, the Oakland Raiders, now the Las Vegas Raiders, but uh, Warren Sapp, funny guy, Derrick Brooks, funny guy, serious guy, but man, those are great guys, man, great times. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, no place like, Mo was it in Mobile at the time still? Yeah, yeah, still the same place, Mobile. I still have my senior bowl jersey. That's awesome. Can't replace moments like that. That's awesome that you got to play with. I mean, I know our fans are freaking out right now to hear about those those awesome stories from such great players in Bucks history but looking back you played with Tom Brady you won two Super Bowls with him but watching him throughout his career what was he like then what have you seen from his game now I mean he's been in the league for 20 years how have you seen that game grow and just what was it like being on the same sideline with a guy like that winning two Super Bowls with him 
Yeah, you know, I, I love to tell this story about Tom because when I talk about Tom, it's almost like I got to talk about Peyton Manning too. Because uh, actually, I start with Peyton. Uh, I uh, was there in Indianapolis when they first drafted uh, Peyton. And Bill Polian, who drafted me with Carolina, he left Carolina to become the GM at Indy in Indianapolis and did a phenomenal job there. He turned that franchise around. And mm -hmm. I was there when they first brought Peyton Manning in. And it was a real big discrepancy between who did they take, Ryan Leaf, or they take Peyton Manning. And everybody was so high on Ryan Leaf. And we see the differences in the careers. And I was there with Peyton uh, became the starter. Uh, and I'm tying all this in because it ties into Tom. When I got to New England, it was Tom's first official full year, uh, so to speak, or uh, wow. his second year at uh, quarterback. So I was able to see the rust spots and then to see where he is now. So that's why I correlate Tom and Peyton because I saw both of them at the early part of their careers. And uh, Peyton, going back to him real quickly and finishing up, um, I'm like, when he first came into the league, I'm like, he throwing interceptions like left and right. And, you know, we go in three downs and we're out, make the uh, our op uh, opponents punt the ball and the coach offense go on the field. And next thing I know, I go to sit down with uh, some Gatorade or the bottle in my hand. And as soon as I put my helmet down, defense, 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 man, Peyton, <laughs> throw an interception. Man. So we got to go try to put the fire out. So uh, then go to Tom, you know, he. Of course, in 2001, you know, Drew Bledsoe goes down. Uh, thank, you know, thankful from a hit from Mo Lewis and Tom Brady. Brady ushers in his era. And uh, when I got there in 2003, the one thing I noticed about Tom was his 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 attention to detail, uh, his attention to fiery the 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 heart that he had to want to get better. And what I mean by that is he would come in. Uh, with the defense, like when we're in the weight room lifting, you know, Tom walk in and, you know, I, I remember one time I was doing a particular exercise and Tom came to me and he said, what does that work on? I said, you know, it works on your obliques and things like that. Next thing I know, Tom doing it. So, you know, the guys, you know, he's doing anything he can, whether he's listening to offensive guys, defensive guys, he's just fiery. And I think by him being drafted as low as he was, I think that also burns, that fire continues to burn because I'm pretty sure he reminds himself every day, no matter whether it's five years, 10 years or 20 years into the league, you know what? They overlooked me when I came mm -hmm. out from Michigan. Now I want to make them pay. So they say that I'm old. Well, I'm going to show them. So I think it's his fire, his desire to want to get better that keeps him so competitive. Yeah, absolutely. I love hearing you talk about being able to see that in the early stages. Like even I remember his combine picture and like he's standing up there and you're just like, this is dopey looking kid, you know, and he goes sixth round and here he is like he's even in the weight room trying to get better and trying to learn. And I think he says he was like the seventh quarterback when he got to Michigan. And so just kind of it's always this underdog mentality. But I do wonder, Tyron, like on the field. Could you start to see – I mean, obviously you had great success when you were there winning two Super Bowls. At that point, were you like starting to say like this guy – could you ever say to yourself even then like this guy might be the best quarterback to ever play? Or was it more like a, this team is just great in general and so maybe you know he's riding that wave even though he's good, he's riding that wave? Or could you look at him and say like no, this guy like he carries us in a way. Like his presence, his ability on the field, whether it's mentally or physically, carries us in a way. Could you – feel that distinction with him yet 
you know, I think when you were on a championship team and I've had an opportunity to thank God to be a part of two of them uh, back to back, which are the toughest uh, Super Bowls to win. Uh, but I think it's a team effort and everyone has to know their role and what they would say in New England, just do your job. And Tom did his job and Tom just tried to take care of what Tom Brady had to do. And he left everything else up to the wide receivers, whether he threw the ball to Troy Brown or David Patton or David Givens, you know, those guys had to do their job. The offensive line had to do their job. Matt Light, you know, all those guys, uh, Christian Fourier, uh, the tight end, uh, you know, those guys did their job. We had Antoine Smith in the backfield. So those guys did their job, which made it easy for Tom. And when you have someone as competitive like he is and someone who's going to make you uh, bring up your level of play, then it just mixes into a championship team. And I think that just the whole team, uh, the mindset of the uh, Patriots, which I like to call it SUT, SUT, the acronym, S-U-T. And in New England, I think what made us win championships, which is something that I look at every team now that is considered a champion, whether or to be a, a, a future champion, whether it's the Bucks. This year, they're saying they want to be a champion, whether it's the Saints, whether it's the Panthers. It's three words that I look at, which makes up this acronym, SUD. Do they speak the same language? When controversy happens or when they're on the field playing with one another, do they speak the same language? Or are they bickering among one, one another? If they're mm -hmm. bickering amongst one another, they're not going to last because they're going to be tough times to get into that Super Bowl where you guys got to be speaking the same language. You got to be uniform. The other one is, do they understand what they're doing? Do they understand what they're doing? If everybody's not on the same page, then you're not going to have success. And then thinking, thinking, do we think the same way? When the score, uh, when we're down by 15 points, we're down by, as in the Super Bowl where the Patriots came back on the Falcons, you know, 28 to three. Yes, somebody else, another team, they might have been thinking, you know what, it's over, man, we're out of it. But we didn't think like that in New England. We were like, okay, all we need is one more opportunity. Give us the ball one more time. So the soot, and, that, and I think that's what Tom brings to Tampa Bay is that soot. He's going he gonna to get them to speak the same language. They're going to understand what it takes to be a champion. And then they're going to think the same way when the chips are down or if you are ahead. It's just a certain type of mentality that you got to have that I believe Tom brings to those bucks. Yeah, and you talk this about that mentality. That, sorry, go ahead, John. I was just going to ask because it's interesting here you talk about Tom Brady in that way because – I think that that's definitely been true of him, especially early in his career. And then, as you saw, that I mean, the Patriots had that stretch where obviously they were really successful. And then they won three in, and it was kind of like insane that they were able to wrap all those Super Bowls, you know, in, in such a large time frame and keep that dynasty kind of alive. But I want to almost rewind a little bit, if I can, Tyrone, and bring back to like when you were in Indianapolis, you were with Bruce Arians, correct? Yes, yes, Bruce Arians, so, big coach, man. So, I love Bruce. That's right. So you've got Bruce Arians experience and Tom Brady experience. And I know it was early on with Arians and to some degree early on with Tom Brady too. They're the marriage of those two together. When you first heard about it, and you obviously watch football, you like you know you've seen Tom over the years and you know how Bruce works. And like you said, you've worked with him. Could you have seen that marriage working? Did you have doubts about it? What were your initial thoughts and what's kind of your impressions now? 
No, 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 no doubts at all, man. I, I, the first thing I, I, I thought about is uh, the uh, Kango almost not. I guess was the, the the type of hat that Bruce Arians wears. Yeah, uh, he he was wearing that in Indianapolis too. So I'm like, that is not something that he just picked up. You know, that's just who his personality is. You know, he's a winner. Uh, he took Peyton Manning. Uh, his rookie year and you know he really coached Peyton and then Bruce went on I believe with Pittsburgh and a little bit with Ben Roethlisberger I believe so uh, you know he's a great coach man great coach you know he's laid back he's funny I would call Bruce Aarons more like a player's coach you know he knows yeah. when to like you know make the guys laugh and, and then at the same time if you do something wrong he's gonna straighten you out so that's what you want you want a coach who hey you know what he's not gonna let you slack but at the same time he's not gonna pull the choke hold on you so tight like some of these other coaches they just feel like they got to keep a chokehold on their players but I like Bruce Arians and you know I think he's a wonderful head coach and I think it was when I heard that Tom was going to Tampa Bay I was like wow you know, that's, that's going to be a great marriage because I knew what Bruce Arians had done with uh, Peyton Manning. So, you know, Bruce he has coached two of the greatest quarterbacks, arguably, to play yeah. the modern era game. So, you know, kudos to Coach Arians. I, this is yeah. funny. I, Taylor, I was going to ask you, I feel like we have to ask him, like, if he has a, like a great Bruce Arians story, right? I know we're putting you on the spot, Tyrone, but I'm wondering if thinking back to those days or do you have like a a great Bruce Arian story, or maybe one time where, you know, we know he loses his cool a little bit. We know he's got a little bit of a, a sailor's mouth. And we are just wondering if you have any funny Bruce Arian stories from your time in Indy. You know, the thing is, Bruce, again, he was the quarterback's coach in Indianapolis. So really, um, I was on defense. And right. rarely, you know, would I understand or know too much of what's going on with the coaches and and everything, unless we just basically uh, at a hotel and, you know, we're right. checking in and you may say something. Other than that, the defensive guys, we normally just see our coaches. And now that Bruce Arians is a head coach, he has to be visible to all his players. But when mm. in Indy, he was the quarterback's coach and um, uh, Tom Mora, he was the offensive coordinator. So really, I probably would have seen Coach Mora more than I seen uh, mm -hmm. Bruce Arians. But, you know, the times that I did run into Bruce, you know, he, uh, you know, he was a cool coach and we did have conversation, but it was more like, you know, just a good, friendly uh, yeah. interaction. Uh, we were on the same team and, you know, he would, you know, say a few good things to me and, you know, about my play. So, you know, he was a real great coach. I have nothing but great things to say that I've witnessed, <laughs> that I've witnessed <laughs> with Coach uh, Arians. So he's a good coach. Good guy. Yeah. And John kind of took my question there. I was going to say you spent, I mean, the exact three years you talked about being in Indy with Polian when he drafted uh when he drafted Peyton Manning, but you guys were there in 98, 99, 2000, the same three years. So I was going to kind of ask you about your experiences with Arians, but what did you see? I mean, from the day Peyton Manning stepped into the building with Arians in 98, what did well, he, you see? Cause you had to go against him. I mean, I know he wasn't your position coach, but you were going against his guys every day in practice. And what was it? The things that Arians emphasized to make them better, to make them more effectively, essentially beat you guys in practice every day. Well, you know, the one thing I did notice about uh, Coach Arians is that he was very patient with Peyton. And that first year, he was very patient. Uh, and like I said, Peyton threw a ton of interceptions. Uh, but he believed in Peyton. He kept pushing Peyton. 
And I would, you know, of course, you would notice, you know, the conversation because uh, when we're when we're on the sideline and taking a knee as uh, the defense, uh, the secondary, you know, we switch in and out. You know, you have an opportunity just to see the interaction when Peyton was not taking the snaps. He would be back talking with uh, uh, Coach Arian. So um, I, I, I don't doubt that uh, Bruce has changed. He's doing the same thing with uh, uh, Tom. Uh, and I'm pretty sure when Tom first got there, Tom was like a rookie. You know, this is his first uh, time being outside of a system that he was a part of for 20 years. So, uh, yeah, you know, you could say he's a veteran and, you know, they still run curl routes. They still run go routes, double moves. But it's a different type of terminology. And you have to understand the difference uh, in which a coach is trying to display their offense. And it could be the same going from college to the pros. You throw curls, you throw slash, you throw posts, but it's a different type of understanding when you're going to someone else's system, even though the linguo and the uh, same distance from the line of scrimmage to a curl route is the same. But so I think, you know, uh, Peyton, not uh, uh, Tom and Coach Arians, I have no doubt that they you know, took time to learn that playbook. And uh, Bruce kind of like just did the same thing that I saw and witnessed in Indy with uh, uh, Peyton. He took his time with uh, Tom. That's good and, stuff. And that's good insight for sure. I I'm, I'm curious to ask you about a couple of things as it relates to this Sunday's matchup. First, I want to mention for fans and our listeners that if you're thinking about betting on this weekend's games, make sure you're doing it over at my bookie late fall college football, the NBA bubble UFC fight Island. It's clear. 2020 has been a year unlike any other, which is why you need a sports book with offers. Unlike any other, get some skin in the game with my bookie where odds boosts, lightning deals and free bets await all season long. And with Turkey day right around the corner, there really is no better time to feast on some NFL action. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there's no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at my bookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at my bookie. And when you do, use the promo code Pewter P E W T E R to get your deposit matched halfway, all the way up to a thousand bucks. The terms are simple: you put in two hundred dollars, they'll match you with another one hundred dollars in your account. If you are already planning to bet season, this is free betting money. Use the promo code Pewter, P-E-W-T-E-R, when you sign up. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Tyrone, this matchup coming up, you know, it's the Bucks six and three, the Panthers three and six, and it it feels like the energy around the Panthers, you would never guess they've lost four straight games. Like, it's like the most optimistic aura I felt around a team that's lost four straight games. I mean, they just took the Super Bowl champs to the wire, basically. What is going on in Carolina right now that you've witnessed with the new coaching staff coming in, especially what Matt Rule and what Joe Brady have been able to do, uh, especially, I guess, with the Panthers' offense? Well, I think what everyone is seeing, and I've described this as, uh, how should I put it? What you Sometimes you can get a team that they are not the – they don't display the 
the the chemistry or what they believe if you look at the record the record sometimes tells a false story and even though the panthers are three and six they don't believe that they are three and six team and there are some teams that are six and three that really they don't believe that they are a six and three team so i think that the uh panthers believe that they are a six and three team not a three and six team and the future mm. is bright you know with everything that has happened with this pandemic and for them to still be in a setting where pretty much everybody is saying or uh, before the season started everybody was saying well you know what this is going to be a totally rebuilding year for the panthers how many games do you think the panthers are going to win this year uh you know uh maybe three already they surpassed three uh, about to, you know they will right. surpass three at some point of this season so i think they are above uh the radar right now they are above the curve and i just think that's because of of a coach uh rule knowing the type of players that he has uh they spent the whole defensive uh draft uh or the whole draft this year's draft on defense so he kind of knew what he had on offense young guys he come in with that energy and again it goes back to like we talked about with uh, uh bruce arians he's the type of coach he's not for every team he has to be for particular teams i don't know if if if, if bruce could coach a young young team you know he has to have some veterans mixed in there people that he can rely on well matt rule is that guy that he's coming in a situation where his past was around young people so he could easily get them to buy in and really know how to motivate them so i think the panthers are onto something great so we'll continue to see how they match up against these bucks coming up Absolutely. No, I think that you bring up some great points just about the way that the culture has already been shaped kind of in Carolina. You know, I think that it's one of those things you kind of see the early signs of it and you know there's a ta lack of talent compared to some of the other top teams in the league and you still see a team competing. I think it's just such a strong indication that good things are in store for this franchise. Teddy Bridgewater has kind of been given the keys right now. Everybody kind of expects yeah. at some point that they'll draft somebody uh, to be the quarterback of the future but in the meantime all teddy's done is play pretty well talked about him yesterday on the preview podcast for those of you who haven't heard it scott and i broke down the panthers and the bucks in depth on yesterday's show on the peter report podcast and you know wow, i was pretty effusive in praise of teddy bridgewater he's done some really good things this season operated well out of play action and really uh, honestly has been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league while still being able to stretch the field that's that's something that, that is rare in today's NFL. So what have you seen from Teddy Bridgewater? Do you think it's possible he could be the, the guy of the future there in Carolina? Well, I, to be the guy of the future, I don't I don't know about that. But right now he's the guy of the present. And what I like about Teddy Bridgewater is the fact that his completion, uh, you know, he's going to throw the ball to the guy who's open. Uh, can he take over a team and and just put it on his shoulders well he gave a glimpse of it uh last week against the chiefs he threw the ball probably more than he's probably thrown it uh this year so uh it does it, that did show me that he can throw the ball if you need for him to throw the ball all the time but he's a smart quarterback again his completion record uh, uh ratio right now percentage is just over 70 percent so you know that means he's throwing the ball to the right person so uh teddy uh you know we'd like to see him throw you know a couple more touchdowns uh get that mm -hmm. ball when it's in the red zone but you know he's doing what the panthers are asking him to do 
Yeah, and I think it's really interesting to see Teddy Bridgewater because he was drafted to be, I mean, that guy of the future for the Vikings, and he suffered. I mean, he had a couple really good seasons there before suffering that injury. He went to New Orleans. I mean, really, since that injury, I don't think he's ever proven that he can't be you know, a successful NFL quarterback. And you look at this team, like you were saying, that was really not projected to win a lot of games. They suffered some really tough losses, you know, whether that's Luke Keekley retiring. And when you see a guy like that leave, it, 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 the defense as a whole suffers. Um, Mike was on the podcast with John Ledyard last week and said that, you know, guys like Shaq Thompson suffer when a guy like Luke Keekley, who can orchestrate that, is is gone. Um you see a guy like Gerald McCoy walk out the door. You see K1 Short go down. But what they're building there, I think, they have some really good weapons on offense. I mean, you know what Christian McCaffrey brings. You have a couple really talented receivers. You have that um, a, a smart coach in Matt Rule. I love the way he uses spacing. He doesn't make Teddy Bridgewater force the ball down the field. How long do you think it'll really take Matt Rule to turn this team from one that I know they have tough losses against Chicago, and you hate to see them drop the one against Atlanta. But I mean, beat a, a good a, a good Chargers team with Justin Herbert, beat a good Arizona team by ten, played the Chiefs down to the wire last week. How long do you think it really takes Matt Rule to turn this organization around from a team that's an overachieving losing team to a team that's really battling not just for a wild card spot, but in the division in the future? Well, you know, Carolina, there's certain organizations that, you know, they are real good organizations. And I think Carolina is one of them organizations. And when I say real good organization, these are organizations where they're not going to stay down for long. Uh, you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, a great organization. They may be down maybe one season, but then they bounce right back. Uh, so there's not too many organizations like that. The Green, the Green Bay Packers, I think they are a great organization. So I think Carolina is one of those organizations where it's not going to take them long to bounce back. And I think when you lose close games, it teaches you uh, it teaches you a lot. Uh, that you need to be able to handle the lows before you can handle the highs. And I think the Panthers have shown that they can handle the, the lows very well. And it's going to only help them when they come back, uh, finish up this season and for you know seasons to come, 2021, 2022. So I think this team is only going to get stronger and stronger. Tyrone, we thank you so much. I know you got to run. We appreciate you coming on the show, giving us some time. He's Tyrone Pool, ladies and gentlemen, at Tyrone Pool 38 on Twitter. Give him a follow. He is the host of the Believe in Panthers on Believe Podcast Network. So make sure you check that out if you're Panther fans that are listening to the show to hear Tyrone's insight. You can hear it all the time over in Believe in Panthers. Uh, and so, we, Tyrone, we just really appreciate you coming on the show and giving us some insight, man. Hey, thank you, John. Thank you, Taylor, man. It's always Absolutely. a pleasure to uh, talk football and to share some, you know, Bruce Arian stories. So hopefully I'll come back and I'll sleep on it a little bit. And I say, hey, you know what? I should have told him this story. But anyway, <laughs> guys, it's always an honor, man. I appreciate it. And you can have me back anytime. Thanks, Tyrone. Thank Take you. care Thank of yourself. You. Tyrone Poole, ladies and gentlemen, host of the Believe in Panthers podcast on Believe uh, Podcast Network. Some interesting insights that I was trying to get a Bruce yeah. Arians like flip out story, you know, because that's like what twenty two years ago, twenty yeah. to twenty two years ago, and back you know, I'm thinking that's right. I'm thinking as back then he was now. probably even more unhinged. 
Um, so yeah, so it would have been funny, but we did get some good questions. We didn't get to get to questions with uh, Tyrone, but uh, long lost Glazer asked, uh, asked one to ask him as a five, eight cornerback and Dante Jackson for the Panthers being five, eight cornerback. How would you coach him up to stop a six, five Mike Evans? I would have one big coaching point, I think for Dante Jackson going into this game. And it would probably be to just pray. I just pray a lot. Um, pray that God would help you and would spare you from what is going to be an angry Mike Evans and is going to be an angry Tom Brady. And it's going to be a connection that is tired of hearing people talk and really more than tired of hearing people talk, just ready to do what they do, man. Like just ready to take people apart. Uh, he took John Jackson apart last matchup. I think, I think my bold prediction for this upcoming game, uh, Taylor is that Mike Evans is going to have 200 yards receiving. That's my, that's my take for this. It's next tough game. <laughs> because that was the bold prediction last week. You know what I mean? Like, um, a lot of people I asked I asked last week before the game I said what's your predictions huge game against the Saints prime time and one of the biggest ones that I kept seeing was this is Mike Evans time you know 150 yards two touchdowns you know 170 and I do agree that there's a chance because look I mean the Panthers the last couple of years have had James Bradbury there and he has done much like Marshawn Lattimore has. He's done a very good job of. I wouldn't say necessarily neutralizing Mike Evans because I thought Mike Evans really, kicked James Bradbury's tail in Week Eight. I didn't talk about that enough, but yeah, in Week Eight, I know in the past, I guess in it's the been, past, yeah, been Bradbury's played. done well, but they don't really have that. I know they have Razul Douglas and Corn Elders there, and they've performed well. But sometimes when you have such a factor like Mike Evans, it's not neutralizing him. It was just keeping him down to earth, especially when you have a guy like Jameis that was willing to throw him 15 targets. And I think that what I've learned from this season is that Mike Evans is a downfield receiver. That's how they play him. He doesn't do an exceptional job of separating. And I think that one of the biggest things for Tom Brady when he's looking at his targets is separation. He doesn't want to have to force tight window throws. He doesn't want to force targets. So I think that if even regardless of whether he's 5'8", 6'8", 4'8", I think the biggest thing that he can do to avoid the ball just going in Mike Evans' direction is sticking to him like glue. Even if right. Mike Evans has the size advantage, has the height advantage, Tom Brady does not want to make those tough throws that are putting the ball in danger of being turned over. So just pray, pray that he becomes adhesive. Yes. And he can literally pray that he can just do that. <laughs> stick. No, I'm telling you, y'all have it totally mixed. Mike Evans is going off this week. Watch. I, I mean, Watch I'd love to see. see it. He's Watch due. Watch and see. Your boy's 8-1. and one. Your boy's called. How many things have I called? I'm telling you, he's going yeah, off. He's going that off. is true. In the Saints game, who said that? Because they need to check themselves. Because, first of all, Lattimore's played Evans great. Second of all, like, the Saints, have, you know, they're dang good secondary. They got a ton of guys that can cover. The Panthers don't. And so I would have just assumed in that game that, I mean, Mike Evans still might get, would get some level of production, but not eat like I'm talking about well, this I mean, game. Also, the Saints have had good, have had, have good players in the secondary, but they've also had a ton of blown coverages. They, yeah. they, they have not played up to their talent level all season. So I can see the thought process. But yeah, Marshawn Lattimore has, I mean, really performed well against Mike in his career. And I think James Bradbury did that a lot with the Panthers. Like you said, there were exceptions. Mike Evans has been a guy to bring up exceptions. He hasn't had many guys really play him that well consistently over the course of his career. But I mean, man, it it's just it's hard to think that any one game is gonna be that 10, 12 target, eight catch, 
150-yard game for Mike this year just because of the way they've used him. We know he's talented enough to do it, and we know he's capable of it, but is he going to get that volume if he can't consistently get really nice separation, the kind that Scotty Miller can have? Tom Brady has thrown a good deep ball. He's thrown an accurate deep ball this year, but he wants Scotty Miller two, three yards behind the receiver. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want Mike Evans stride for stride making a 50-50 jump ball. And I think that's been something that I've noticed as far as, yes, Tom Brady has been good on deep balls. He has been accurate on them, but he's not throwing a lot of 50-50 balls. We did see some of those this week, um, but... I think it's hard. I mean, there, there's so many, there's a lot of factors in that, but yeah, I mean, generally speaking, 50, 50 balls, like living and dying by them, isn't a good way to operate offensively, you know? Yeah. And that's why people fans love stats and they, and I get it completely. And I think it was fun to see Mike Evans get six, 1000 yard seasons in a row. But I said, going into the year, there's a very real chance. Mike Evans could not get a thousand yards and the Bucks could be a yeah. better team because of it, you know, and everybody's been waiting for a loss to attack the Mike Evans approach and attack the Mike Evans production. And I understand that. And I don't, I do think that targeting Mike Evans and doing some different things with him can help, but this team hasn't really done it that heavily this season, especially when everybody's been healthy and they've been fine offensively this season. And I think that one of the things that people have to kind of adjust their thinking to is that the bucks have not been a very efficient or consistent offense when Mike Evans is a volume receiver in their offense. Like it or not, the way Mike Evans is used in this offense and in the offense before it with Dirk Cutter, the way he is used in those offenses is almost exclusively as a vertical threat down the field. And if you are always throwing those balls and he is getting double-digit targets, like Bruce Arian said the other day, if he's getting double-digit targets a game, you're probably losing by a ton and you're trying to throw deep and get big plays um, or you're playing a team that can't cover and has no answer for the long ball. Those are the kind of the situations, and Brady's done that. I mean, we saw the Chargers game. You know, he was lighting them up because they couldn't cover. Um, and so there's opportunities to do that. But generally speaking, I don't think Mike Evans being a volume receiver. That's why last year things changed. When the, when the Bucks were in games and they were able to operate their game plan, they weren't able to operate their game plan down 28 nothing. You know, so yeah. we can say, oh, not trying to target this, not trying to target that. I mean, we're talking about a very small sample size of plays to assess. Well- uh, an objective. Whereas last year when they were in games and they were able to do what they wanted, the offense really ran through Chris Godwin as the volume receiver. Mike Evans was a big play guy. They threw enough picks and made enough mistakes yeah. that they had to throw deep all the time to Mike Evans. And so they had, to, you know, but a lot of the picks have come I and mean, 16 interceptions over the last two years came in targeting Mike Evans. I don't think that's Evans fault uh, most of the time. Yeah. I just think the nature of throwing the ball down the field into tons of tight windows leads to more interceptions, and the data will Well, and this out. has been my argument, is it's that we know, yes, he's not a volume receiver anymore, but it's not like he's out of the game plan. How many How many touchdowns does Mike Evans have? Seven now? I think he... he uh, seven, I think, yeah. Entering last week, I think he led, he led the league in touchdowns with seven. So I went back and looked at it, and you know where his touchdowns are coming from? Two from the one-yard line, Two from the two-yard line, I believe one from the six, one from the eight, yeah. one from the 23-yard line. That Four of his seven touchdowns have come from the two-yard line or shorter, and only mm-hmm. one of them has come from deeper than eight yards. So it's not like he's out of the game plan. His usage has just changed. And Mike Evans is still a great receiver. I always love the 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 what-have-you-done-for-me-lately theory from fans. It's the when Le'Veon Bell took a year off and went to the Jets – he was in a worse situation. Le'Veon Bell didn't just become a bad running back, just like I don't think Odell Beckham Jr. didn't become a bad you know, wide receiver when he went to Cleveland and he wasn't getting the same volume he was from New York. 
Mike Evans is no different than he was. Although I do think, and you'll probably agree with me, that he has dealt with a lot of injuries and has probably spent most of this season less than 100%. But the the biggest thing that has changed with Mike Evans is his usage. He's not getting 10, 20-plus yard targets a game. He's getting those inside the red zone where Tom Brady likes to, to my chagrin, throw those goal line fades, throw those to those big body receivers, the Gronkowskis, where we saw him catch a touchdown pass in three consecutive games. We mm-hmm. saw him go to Mike Evans twice on goal line fades this week. He scored one from the six-yard line the week before. So it's bigger than just the volume, and it's it's not like he's been completely taken off the whiteboard. I think fans need to realize that it's mainly his usage and where mm-hmm. the Bucks are targeting him than just – why they're not targeting him, if that makes sense. I mean, even if you look at the, you know, I wrote about it this week, but if you take, you know, the 14 plays in the game before it was 28 to nothing, to nothing that the Bucks had, and then you take away the two Ronald Jones runs, and you take away the two screen passes for Ronald Jones, and you look at those 10 remaining plays, on at least two of those plays, Mike Evans is the primary target. It's designed to go to him, yeah. and both times he had he faced double coverage in those situations, and so Brady needed to go elsewhere with the ball. So, you know, two out of 10 plays. So, I mean, we're talking, again, we're talking small sample sizes, but they are trying to get him involved. It's just it's just sometimes that it's not there. And honestly, that's okay. When they win and they don't throw to him, nobody's going to care because they also have Chris Goddard and Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown. And, and so it's okay. And fans, I think it's going to take a recalibration of, of we don't have to throw to Mike 10 times a game to win or to be yeah. successful. Because I think right now when they lose, they're saying the direct correlation to losing is not throwing the ball to Mike Evans. I do think they can do different things to get the ball to Mike Evans, like I wrote about. I don't think Tom Brady's the primary problem in getting the ball to Mike Evans. Um, I just think that fans are going to have to adjust because Mike Evans might not go for 200 yards and the Bucs could still win the game by 14. Like that, that is a very realistic possibility. Um, And so I think that's something that we have to think about too. Did want to let fans know about this in the, in the midst of this tropical storm that is hitting Florida, that there are still some hurricanes forming in the Gulf. Don't wait to review your insurance policies. Make sure you call Briar Greaves, our friends over at Briar Greaves Insurance, who, as we know, listening to Scott this past week, he finally gave him a call. He switched over to Briar Greaves Insurance. Super exciting stuff. They're family owned and they've served the greater Tampa Bay area for 30 years for your home, auto, boat, life, commercial, and flood insurance needs. A lot of homeowner companies are canceling or not renewing policies, leaving Florida or increasing premiums significantly. Call Briar Greaves and speak directly to Briar or Sam for a personalized touch for information on the best rates. The folks at Briar Greaves Insurance are big fans of the Buccaneers and proud sponsors of the Pewter Report podcast on pewterreport.com. Visit Briar Greaves Insurance or call 813-876-4166. That's 813-876-4166 or briargreavesinsurance.com today. There's a lot of fascinating kind of topics, I think, uh, Taylor, to talk about with the Bucks receiving core. And I know we do have to wrap up this show, but I did want to get to one question uh, from Son. They ask, how do you, how y'all feel about Chris Godwin going forward? And I just feel, I feel great about Chris Godwin going forward. And I just want yeah, to like, if you got Chris, Chris Godwin in fantasy, I just think he's going to be great. I mean, I think when he's been out there with Brady, there's a natural connection. Brady looks for him again. This offense changed last year when they have their druthers and they are not trailing 28 to nothing and a game plan is not out the window. Chris Godwin is the volume guy in this offense. Yes. I think that's how they want it to be. And I think I that's the same he's thing led the team in, in every game he's played except for maybe one. 
that, he consistently that might be true, leads. Yeah. I, I think right. he consistently leads. I mean, six, eight, nine, ten targets a game. Volume guy. Really, I know the organization loves him. I mm. know the coaching staff loves him. I think Brady does as well. He is the prototypical. I mean, he. You look at his his measurements, and he's even bigger than he looks in person. I mean, he's a big receiver. He's a good receiver. He's a good route runner. He's a phenom- He catches the ball with consistency. Um, yes, that's actually where I got the wood. Um, <laughs> this is Taylor Jenkins' family vacation right here. So, Taylor, for those who aren't listening. Greg says, Taylor, the last time I saw Wood like that was in the Griswold station wagon. <laughs> Taylor Jenkins Family Vacation Pewter Report podcast. That's funny. But, no, you bring up good points about Chris Godwin. I think you're right. I think he's the guy for this offense moving forward. If you have him in fantasy, I think now that he's healthy, I think you're going to get good output over the, too, over the rest of the season. Last thing I'll say, it was a good question. Uh, I'm trying to find it. As a DC, Greg wants to know what we would take away uh, from the Bucks offense, I think it's a good question. I he says I'm not even sure the Bucks know what they do best. I think Chris Godwin said it well yesterday, and he paused for a second when somebody asked him because he didn't know if he was allowed to rip the run game. I think, but yeah. he was like, "We're passing team. Our passing offense is what we do best, and it's not that hard. You know, that's that's what they do best. They're they're loaded at it. Uh, so do, so spending a ton of time doing something else is really just silly, in my opinion. Um, do things need to change about their passing game so they can? more on to completions yet they need more man beast in this team it was painfully obvious at the beginning of the game when the saints rolled up in man and all the bucks had was post wheel and they didn't have the protection to hit of hit the long verticals they've got to get find ways to get more yeah. to get shorter stuff going remember the beginning of the bears game taylor and they had all those horizontal routes yeah. all those horizontal they attacked teams horizontally and it was incredibly successful they have enough speed to do it in my opinion that's how you get mike evans going Get him in the slot or put him outside. Get so, some type of a rub off the line of scrimmage and get him going horizontally across yeah. the field. Yeah, you ask him to run a little bit with the ball after the catch. Like he's gonna do it. That's fine. You know, he's not gonna make people miss, but he just has to get vertical. It's not they need to rethink the whole type, the whole process with Evans. I think if they really want to make him a volume receiver, they can get him more touches and it's fine. He's a good player. You know, that's fine strategy too. But I think Man, that's you, the thing. And Brown, that's how you want to use him too. Manufactured touches. For Scotty Miller, fastest guy That's on the guy. field. Fastest guy on the field. I'm not saying he's going to get 100 yards every game, but like, wh- I don't you, know, man. His stat went to 19. In the Why last do you game. have so many design screens to Ronald Jones? Why do you oh. have so many design screens to to, to Rob Gronkowski? Gronkowski is not going to run through tackles like he did when he was 25 years old. Ronald Jones is clearly a liability in the pass game, and Scotty Miller is the fastest guy on the field. If you're going to run that bubble route. Run it with him. We've seen him multiple times do fake end arounds and then go play action or run the ball with Ronald Jones the right. Give him the ball in the end around on first down. If he only gains two, three, four yards, who cares? You do that half the time, giving it to Ronald Jones up the middle anyway. What do you have to lose? It's not like I don't think it's very likely that Scotty Miller is going to get caught four yards in the backfield on an end around very often, especially on something right. like first down. I don't think yeah. that that's like a, a, a game breaking, you know, idea that's going to put the Bucks' offense over the top. It's just something that's bothered me because they're so willing to throw to him forty yards down the field, but we haven't seen them manufacture touches for him at the same volume they did in Week One against the Saints. And I think mm-hmm. that is, I mean, put the ball in the it's hands hard. of your fastest guy. You just saw his snaps get slashed. I mean, down to nineteen snaps in the don't last do it game, fourteen and it- times a game, but do it three. Give him a and chance yes, Greg, on the bubble screen. 
Yeah. Yes, Greg, I did see AB out of the backfield last week. It made my heart flutter a little bit. I'm not sure how sustainable it will be. We'll, we'll have to see. I mean, I don't know, you know, how predictable it will end up becoming. It was the first time they've done that all season with a wide receiver. He did confirm oh, yeah, that. Yeah. that was the first time they've had a wide receiver come out of the backfield. Right. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so. so hopefully some creative things that they can get going with that receiving core, but it's definitely something that there's a lot of mouths to feed, but if you're going to take on the challenge, you better have a plan for how to do it. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, we'll be back on Sunday after the game. The game is at one. After the Panthers game concludes, we'll have the pressers with Arians, and we'll probably hear from Brady. Then shortly after that, we'll be going live. So make sure you just have that in the back of your head. Tell your friends, your family, your loved ones, people you don't even like that much, but you know they like the Bucks. Tell them about the Pewter Report podcast. Tell them where to subscribe over at Pewter Report TV on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button, hit the bell, get the notifications for when we go live. That way you don't have to try and remember on Sunday. Uh, you can just jump on when we go live, uh, and we'll break down that game. It, it should be – it's a huge game. I said it yesterday on the show. Yeah. The Bucks don't win. I don't know how you can think they're a playoff team, so I picked them to win because of that, and so we'll see how it goes moving forward. You can also check out our predictions and our preview for the game coming up. What's tomorrow, Friday? Yeah, Friday, tomorrow uh, afternoon at some point. Um, we'll have those up for you all as well. So I appreciate you all listening and appreciate you all tuning in uh, to the good stuff on the show. Thank you all so much, and we'll catch you again next time. Appreciate you all being here on another edition of the Pewter Report Podcast. Out. Out. <laughs>